Well, one day, uh, Winnie the Pooh said to Eeyore, we have such a nice life. Why are you always so depressed? To which Eeyore said, ah, if you haven't noticed, I have to go through life with a nail in my backside. It's a good point. It's a cause for depression. And we laugh at that, and uh, it is meant to be funny, but certainly depression or despair is not something that is a laughing matter for those that are going through it. In 1835, an Englishman was in Florence, Italy, and while he was there, he visited a doctor. This patient was filled with much anxiety and depressed, utterly exhausted from a lack of sleep. He couldn't eat. He avoided social contact with his friends. And so the doctor examined the man, only to find that he was in prime physical condition. There's nothing medically wrong with him at all. So the doctor concluded that his patient just needed to get out some and enjoy himself. He needed to entertain himself to get his mind off of his troubles. So the physician told him about a circus that was in town and its star performer, Joey the Clown. He was speaking about Joseph Grimaldi, who was an English actor and a comedian that was quite famous at that time for playing this clown. The doctor went on to advise his patient that you've got to go see Grimaldi. He's amazing. He's the world's funniest clown. He's got people rolling in the aisles every night. Surely he will make you laugh. Surely he will cure you of your sadness. To which the despairing patient replied, no. Grimaldi cannot help me at all. He will not cure my sadness because, you see, I am Grimaldi. True story. And you know what? That incident, I think, tells the story of so many people. They go through life painting on a happy face for others to see. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. But underneath... The painted smile is a hurting heart, a sad heart. They're in despair. They know they can't pull themselves out of that pit. So as I've mentioned here, as we've been in the Psalms, depression is a common human experience. As I've said before, it can be due to sin in one's life. It can be due to disobedience to God in some way, a sin that's unconfessed and unwillingness to fellowship with the Lord and prayer and his word, uh, worrying rather than trusting in God. These are often the root causes of depression. So certainly sin can be a reason for depression, but not always. Sometimes physical, emotional, spiritual fatigue can be a factor. As we've mentioned before, biological changes, medical problems, traumatic event like abuse, or even being spiritually attacked, can all be factors to depression. So it's not surprising, again, that even spiritually mature believers can wrestle with deep discouragement at times. Even though they're committed Christians, even though they're doing their best to follow the Lord, they love the Lord, even though they're not walking in 
known sin, they can struggle with discouragement and feel like God is distant from them. The good news for believers is that they can look to someone outside of themselves to pull themselves out of the doldrums. They can look to the Lord. They can look to the Lord and put their hope in Him and find Him to be their help. And that is what the psalmist of Psalms 42 and 43 did. And in so doing, he models for us how to deal with discouragement and how to overcome it. As you find your way to Psalm 43 once again, let me just briefly remind us of the context. So I've mentioned before, we don't really know exactly who wrote this, perhaps a son of Korah, perhaps King David. But whoever it was, he wrote Psalm 43 along with Psalm 42 while he was in exile from Israel in some foreign Gentile land. And you'll recall that the textual evidence strongly suggests that Psalm 42 and 43 were originally one, one psalm. And the repetition of the identically worded theme statement, uh, hope in God, in both of the psalms suggests this original unity. And at some point it was divided into two psalms. Anyway, because the psalmist was exiled in a distant land, he could not participate in the annual feasts of God's people. He could not go with them to the sanctuary to worship God. It's something he really wanted to do. He missed. He yearned for. He longed to celebrate with God's people. But even more so, he yearned to truly commune and fellowship with the Lord once again. As he says at the beginning of Psalm 42, he was like a thirsty deer looking for a water brook to to quench his parched soul. He panted for the Lord. You see, while he was in exile, he was experiencing a spiritual drought. He felt not only geographically far from the Lord, from his sanctuary, but he felt a spiritual distance between himself and the Lord. It was a dark time for the psalmist, and it was, of course, made even worse by the fact that he had enemies who were oppressing him and taunting him day and night. They ridiculed his trust in God. They scornfully asked, where is your God now? He's given up on you. He doesn't care about you. He's abandoned you. These were mocking men. And they're identified in Psalm 43, our text for tonight, as part of an ungodly people. Some speculate that they were the Arameans of Damascus. Don't really know, but whoever they were, the psalmist endured their vicious, vicious derision. But you remember that the psalmist was not going to accept his plight. He wasn't going to accept his depression. He pleaded with the Lord to change his circumstances. He asked God to deliver him, to to bring him back safely to Jerusalem, where he could again worship God at the altar. But until then, he challenged himself not to remain in despair. He refused to allow himself to wallow, wallow rather in depression and discouragement. Instead, he repeatedly confronted his own discouragement by preaching to himself the same sermon multiple times. He repeatedly preached, self, do not put your hope in yourself. Don't look to yourself. Look to the Lord. Put your hope in him, your help. Well, as the psalmist wraps up 
his two-in-one psalm, it's clear that he, at the end, has come to trust and hope in God. He confesses that God is his exceeding joy, and he anticipates that God will deliver him. But until that time, the psalmist resolved that he would hope in God during his difficult circumstances. As we saw back in Psalm 42, the psalmist knew God was in complete sovereign control over his life. He knew that God had only loving intentions for him, only had good purposes for his sufferings, and therefore he trusted God to keep him. And God did, and he reassured him, he comforted him. So you see, God used the psalmist's suffering to accomplish great good in him and through him. As he depended upon the Lord, the psalmist glorified God through his trial. And in the end, this trial actually drove him closer to the Lord, just as our trials often draw us closer to the Lord. Christian friend, do you find yourself disheartened in any way this evening? Are you like Grimaldi, the clown, You've painted on a a happy face for everyone to look at. But deep down, you're discouraged. Maybe you feel distant from God. Well, if so, be encouraged in God in whom you trust. As William Cooper's hymn says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with God's mercy, shall break in blessings on your head. Do not judge the Lord by feeble sense. Instead, trust him for his grace. No, behind his frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Discouraged believer, whatever your despair may be this evening, receive this message from Psalm 42 and 43. When you are depressed, you must put your hope in God, your help. Well, last time, as you know, we finished up Psalm 42, but because Psalm 42 is linked to Psalm 43, we're going to go ahead and read both of these psalms together one last time. And so starting in Psalm 42, verse 1, under the Spirit's inspiration, the psalmist writes, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now our text for this evening, Psalm 43, the psalmist continues. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful man, the unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Brethren, if you find yourself spiritually discouraged now, or when you are spiritually discouraged at a later time, how should you deal with discouragement? Well, as mentioned before, the the psalmist example demonstrate that there are at least six things that you should do. The first four things we've already covered in Psalm 42. First, Psalm 42 teaches when you are depressed, you should plead for God's presence. Two, you should preach to yourself to hope in God. Three, you should ponder God's person, and four, you should preach to yourself to hope in God again. The fifth thing you should do is seen in verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 43. When you're depressed, you should pray for God's protection. Now, the first four verses of Psalm 43 make up the third and the final stanza of this united psalm. And this stanza gives us four reasons for why we need to pray for God's protection when discouraged. Reason number one, you should pray for protection because the ungodly seek your ruin. Again, in verse one, the psalmist pleads, Vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Here we read the psalmist crying out to God, and he does so using courtroom language. Uh, With great boldness, he asked God to do what? He asked God to vindicate him. He wanted God to be his judge, to examine him, and determine that he was completely innocent of all the accusations that his enemies made against him. He also wanted God to be his defense attorney to defend him against this ungodly people or this unfaithful nation who not only threatened him, but was also threatening the security of Israel. It's interesting here, the the word ungodly or unfaithful is actually the negative of the Hebrew, Hebrew word hesed, a word which means loving loyalty. Covenant faithfulness, the the kind of loyal love that God has for his people. But this unfaithful, this ungodly people who were the enemies of the psalmist are the exact opposite of God. They are unloving. They are cruel. They are anti-God. They are anti-God's people. They are ungodly. Which is to say, they did not know the Lord. This is a heathen people, a heathen nation. 
They did not live according to God's holy law. Instead, what did they do? They were deceitful in their attacks against the psalmist. They were unjust in their judgments against the psalmists. And thus, all he desired was for God to deliver him from their oppression. Now, the ungodly, sadly, do the same thing to the godly today as the enemies of the psalmist did to him. And undoubtedly, the godly of today make a similar cry to God. Why? Because the ungodly today as then also maliciously malign and mistreat God's people. And of course, Paul the Apostle told us to expect this. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And yet God's people can take ultimate comfort in this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I ask you this evening, child of God, do you faithfully walk with the Lord and yet you are persecuted for it? Does an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving relative make life difficult for you because you simply identify with Christ and his people? Do you have to endure the the lies and mockery of unbelievers in your workplace or at school? If so, remember that God is for you. Remember, his mercy is for you. Remember, his justice is for you. And he will surely deliver you ultimately, even as he has already delivered you from your sins. As your judge, he will judge you righteously. And he will find you innocent because you are in his son, Jesus. As your advocate, he will plead your cause righteously. And he will win the argument on your behalf. And as your deliverer, he will deliver you righteously, for you have already been delivered through his righteous son, your refuge, the Lord Jesus. Reality that brings us to the second reason you need to pray for God's protection when discouraged. You need to do that because God can be your refuge. You'll note there in verse 2, with a, a, a sort of growing confidence, the psalmist boasts, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. The persecuted hymn writer knew that God was on his side, that he was the one who could defend him against all attacks. God was his refuge, that is to say his fortress, his stronghold, his shelter of protection. Note the psalmist's confidence. He does not say here, God, I wished you were my refuge, or I hope at some later time you will be my refuge. No, he says, you are my refuge, God. So by faith, he was very certain of the Lord's protection. But his present situation, the dire situation in which he found himself 
brought that protection into question. He had lived under God's faithful protection for so long that he couldn't understand how all these events were happening to him. His circumstances made it look as if his enemies were gaining the advantage over him. The situation looked like God had abandoned him. Thus he lamented, verse 2, Lord, why have you rejected me? This question brings us to the third reason. You should pray for God's protection when you're discouraged. You need to do that because you feel God has rejected you. Now, of course, that is not reality. It's not reality, but it can feel as if it is reality. And so when you feel that way by faith, you have got to fight against that feeling. Basically, the psalmist reason, if God is my sure defense, then why does it feel like he's rejecting me? And further, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He says, I know God is my refuge, but right now it seems as if he's cast me off and that he's not my refuge. It feels like God has forsaken me. You see, the emotional pain that this man was going through as he endured the taunts of his enemies was indeed an emotional pain that he suffered, something that inflicted him. We've got to understand that was not the worst part of his situation. The most unbearable part of his situation was feeling separated from God. Remember again the beginning of Psalm 42. More than anything else, what did he want? He wanted God. He wanted that renewed communion, that renewed fellowship with the Lord. But, again, based on his circumstances, it felt as if God had rejected him. Have you ever been there before? Are you there right now? There are times in our Christian lives when we can feel sort of trapped by difficult circumstances, situations over which we really have absolutely no control at all. And like the psalmist, we may even be victims of slander, false judgment from wicked people, or maybe we're having to deal with a severe sickness, financial difficulties, death of a loved one, Marriage problems, family problems, whatever the case, there are times when we feel like we are absolutely powerless to change a tough situation. A time in which we have reached the end of ourselves, we have no more ability, we have no more strength. We can't do anything about our circumstance. And it's at those times that we have to remind ourselves we can't, but God can was preached to ourselves that his strength is made known, is, is made perfect through our weaknesses. We must tell ourselves that he has invited us to come to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When we are under the burden of overwhelming circumstances, we are inclined to doubt God's love for us, his care, concern for us, and it's very easy for us to feel as if he has forsaken or abandoned us. 
And yet at such times, we've got to remember his promise that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. The Lord promises to stand by us whenever we go through fiery trials in life. Certainly, we don't always understand why the Lord is having us go through certain circumstances in our lives, but we can always know this. We will never have to go through those circumstances on our own. He will always be with us. Just as the Lord was with his faithful servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace, we can know he's always with us through our fiery trials. The Lord promises us, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. As we look at this psalm, we see a a man's heart that certainly had fainted. It did feel as if the Lord had abandoned him, and yet in faith he would not allow himself to just stew in that feeling. Instead, his faith looked to the Lord from whence came his help. So he asked the Lord once again to deliver him from his despair. Why? Well, he goes on to say why. It's so that he could rejoice again in God. Which leads to the fourth reason we need to pray for God's protection when discouraged. Pray for protection because you long to rejoice in God again. This psalmist is acknowledging is his great need for the Lord to restore him to a place of peace and joy once again. Which for him meant returning to the place where God's presence dwelt. And so the psalmist asked the Lord to bring him back home, to bring him back to Jerusalem, to to guide him to the sanctuary where he could again worship in God's presence. This wasn't just for him, but it was also to communicate a message. By getting back to Jerusalem, it showed God vindicated his servant. So verse 3, the psalmist prayed, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So the psalmist asks that God's light and truth would lead him back to, he says, the Lord's holy hill, which is Mount Zion or, or Jerusalem. Mount Zion is called holy because it was the location of the tabernacle that place on earth where God dwelled among his people, that appointed place, that important place of public worship. So just as the Lord had faithfully led the Israelites before through the wilderness, cloudy pillar by day, fiery pillar by night, led them into the promised land, the psalmist prayed that the Lord would guide him by his light and truth back to Jerusalem. And we've got to understand here, of course, the psalmist is not asking for the Lord to give him geographical direction, okay? He knew the physical way back to Jerusalem. Instead, what he's asking for, he's asking for personal and spiritual direction. He wanted to know from God what he should do, how he should conduct himself. And we need to understand, sometimes in the psalms, light can refer to different things. It can refer to God's presence at other times. It refers to his comfort and guidance during dark times in our lives. And, of course, God's light can also refer to his word. And here it seems that the psalmist probably had all three of these these things in mind. He needed God's presence. He needed God's comfort. And he especially needed God's word to guide him. 
Truth, of course, is one of God's attributes, one of his unique excellencies. It it speaks of his faithfulness to his holy character, to his laws, to his word. And, of course, his truth is revealed and preserved in what? His word. So in sum, by asking God to send out his light and truth, the psalmist is asking God to demonstrate his faithfulness and love by guiding him back home to Jerusalem. And through the light and truth of his word, God would also direct the psalmist in what he should say and do. So bottom line, he needed God to lead him out of his dark despair, lead him out of this dark situation through what? Through his light, through his truth. And and likewise, we need the light of God's truth, his word, to lead us out of our dark times. When we are in dark times, when we're in distress, we need to open our Bibles. Let its light guide us. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. When in dark despair, the Bible, God's word, will show us the way out. It is the word of God that heals us of depression and discouragement. I love what Psalm 107.20 states. God sent out his word and healed the redeemed and delivered them from their destruction. The word of God heals. So when we're deeply discouraged and we don't feel like reading God's word, guess what? That is precisely the time we need to read the word of God the most. We need to read it and ask For God's spirit to use the truth of his word to shine his light into our dismal heart. To lead us to himself. To our exceeding joy. As verse 4 says. The truth is God's word. The light is our understanding of it. Which is what the psalmist was crying out for. He wanted to understand God's word. Why? So that the word of God would strengthen and encourage his discouraged heart. Lord, if you do that, the psalmist basically says, then my heart will be filled with joy and gladness, and then I will praise you, O God, my God. Verse 4, the psalmist writes, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. As I've already stated from the very beginning, Psalm 42, continuing into Psalm 43, we know as one, this this exiled and this discouraged psalmist has emphasized what? He has emphasized over and again his heart's yearning to experience God's presence again. And note just in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 43, note the progression of increasing closeness to God. He goes from God's holy hill to God's dwelling place, to God's altar, and then finally to God himself. We need to see this. The biggest concern for the psalmist, his greatest heart desire, wasn't deliverance from his enemies. It wasn't even just to return back home. The greatest yearning of the psalmist's heart was God's holy presence. Communion with God is what he wanted most. Why? Because he knew that only God could truly satisfy the longings of his heart. 
And so the psalmist confessed that God was his exceeding joy. That is to say, God was his joy more than anyone else or anything else. And so he vowed. He promised the very first thing I do when I get back home, when I get to Jerusalem, is I'm going to go to the altar of God. That's where I'm going to go. And there I will offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. There I will offer a song of praise and do so with my lyre. The psalmist envisioned this. He imagined his coming deliverance. Envision the, the opportunity to worship and fellowship with God. You can just see how hope is, 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 is broken to his heart. And he's filled with that hope. And the reason for that is there's no other joy in life greater than basking in the presence of God. There is no more fulfilling thing than spending time in true communion with the Lord God. And the psalmist knew this by experience, and this is what he anticipated most. This is what he longed for most. You've got to understand, the Lord to this man was not just some sort of remote deist God. An aloof, removed God. No, God was his God, as he says, my God. He had a personal relationship, a, a vital relationship with the Lord. And that is why... The psalmist desperately longed to be in that special place where God's presence on earth was revealed. He longed to be where God was at in a special way. Now, today, of course, God's presence through his spirit dwells within us who are believers. And so no matter where we're at, no matter what we are doing, he is with us, in fact, we can say he is in us. So despite how difficult a circumstance may be, it can never keep us from God's presence. So when we're deeply discouraged, we need to look to the Lord. We need to do that right away. We should not delay in that. We, we need to enter his presence through prayer. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord instead of on our troubling trial. We just need to bask in his presence. Because if we do, he will lift us up from our despair and he will restore his joy to our souls. As the psalmist examples, we can know the joy of the Lord even during the most difficult trials. But we will not know the joy of the Lord in our trials if we refuse to repent of sin in our lives. And this is important for us to understand. Because some Christians wonder why they go, while they're going through trials, why they don't have this joy that Scripture so often speaks about. They'll ask God, God, I've asked you for this joy, the kind of joy that all these biblical characters had as they went through severe trials in their lives. And I don't understand God, I've told you I want this joy during my hardships, but I just don't seem to have it. What is wrong? Well, if you're asking those kind of questions as you go through trials, you need to ask yourself this question. Is there any unrepentant sin in my life that I have not turned from? Unrepentant sin hinders our fellowship with God. 
Sin keeps us from enjoying the presence of God. And so, as I'm sure most of you have heard many times throughout your life, you need to keep short sin accounts with the Lord. When we sin, we need to immediately ask for his forgiveness. And not just confess it and then just plan on going back to it, but to turn from it, to forsake it. Be restored to fellowship with the Lord. I mean, you know, let's think about it. There's no doubt about it. There is pleasure in sin for a short season. The scripture tells us in the end, what does it do? It sows the seeds of death and destruction. The scripture says, in the end, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin only brings misery. And for the Christian, it only grieves the spirit of God that is within them. We understand sin is really nothing but a cheap substitute that robs us of ultimate satisfaction. Sinful pleasures hinder us from having what our hearts, what our souls really long for most. And what is that? God. The one that we were made for. So no matter how tough our circumstances may be, no matter how down on the dumps we may be, we should always pray for And seek after the joy of the Lord. Why? Because he offers a joy in himself that infinitely exceeds all other sinful pleasures. 19th century English pastor Edwin Hood comments. This can be said of no other joy. All other beauties have their boundaries. All other glories have their glooms. But this is that illimitable sea, God. As David testified, Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, knowing this to be true, the psalmist closes by preaching to himself to hope in God a third time. Verse 5, he self-sermonizes Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This repeated refrain teaches us the final thing we must do to deal with any spiritual discouragement. Downcast believer, when you are depressed, preach to yourself to hope in God Again and again. And if you want to, you can add several more agains to this point. Because it is something that we are to repeatedly preach to ourselves. As mentioned before, the psalmist refused to let himself settle into a depressed state. We see here as he evaluated the reasons why his soul was so downcast, he realized that he shouldn't be in despair. Instead, he should be hopeful because the God in whom he hoped is so great. And so rather than remaining in despair, rather than remaining discouraged, what did he do? He repeatedly fought against that despair. And he did it by fighting for hope in God. Let's understand, like us, when we go through trials, this man's soul went through, obviously, a lot of emotional 
ups and downs. He rode the emotional roller coaster. We see it in these two psalms that are one. And yet, he refused to remain down. He repeatedly confronted his raging emotions by preaching to himself, self, hope, in God. Self, hope, in God. Don't look around. Don't focus on your circumstances around you. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. He kept preaching to himself. Look to the Lord who is over all of your circumstances, reigns over all of them. He is your Savior. He is your God. This is what he's preaching to himself. He's preaching to himself, God will deliver you, and you shall praise him again. So hope in him now. Praise him now. As I've mentioned before, hope here in Psalm 42 and 43 means to wait upon God's perfect timing with a certain confident trust in him regarding the future. This is the remedy. This is the remedy for depression. It's trusting in God now when the circumstances are tough. It's thanking God that he will take care of you even while you're in the trial. It's praising him that he will deliver you before he actually does so. This is what we must do when we're discouraged. We must encourage ourselves in God. We must focus our hope in him. If you've lived life for any amount of time, you know that life on this sin-cursed earth can be really tough at times. There are many trials, many tribulations that we have to face, but the Lord has given us hope in him. And his hope sustains us through all the trials. His hope acts as an anchor when our souls are being storm-tossed by the trials of life. Lord has promised to give us his sufficient grace to carry us through every trial. Further, he has promised to work out every circumstance for our good. And as we know, that ultimate good is what? It is greater conformity to the image of Christ. He's promised these things. And he will accomplish these things for us and in us. He will do this. But we have a job to do amid our trials. And our job is to simply hope in God. Our responsibility is to trust that he who cannot lie will keep his promises and he will accomplish his purposes for us. Our responsibility is to praise him in the dark times, knowing that he, as the psalmist says, is our savior and is our God. In short, our responsibility is to hope in God, our help. Charles Spurgeon comments, Why are you cast down, O my soul? If God be yours, why this dejection? If he uplifts you, why are you so near the ground? Why overburden yourselves with forebodings? Hope in God, wait for him. Yes, there is need for patience, but there is ground for hope. The Lord cannot but avenge his own elect. The Heavenly Father will not stand by and see his children trampled on forever. As surely as the sun is in the heavens, light must arise for his people. Though for a while they may walk in darkness, why then should we not be encouraged 
and lift up our head with comfortable hope. Times of complaint will soon end, and seasons of praise will begin. My God will clear the furrows from my brow and the tear marks from my cheek. Therefore, will I lift up my head and smile in the face of the storm. Brethren, we must do the same when we are downcast. We must hope in God, our help. May he grant us his help to do so. Let's bow for prayer.